First off, a special thank you to Rebbe Avram, who is now officially taking over the camera and the tech for the Tuesday night cheer. So, shkoyach to Avram, shkoyach. Topic this evening is the last Nazir, the secret world of Harav, HaNazir, David Cohen, Zechert Sadik Levrocha. Now, somebody already told me he was not the last Nazir because Eli Stefanski interviewed a Nazir recently when the Davyomi did the, uh, the Masechta. So we'll call it the second to last Nazir, right? The secret world of Harav, HaNazir, David Cohen. This topic came up, we mentioned a story about the Nazir on Shabbos and Shavuos, and I had more than a handful of people asking me, who was the Nazir? I never heard of him before. So that inspired me to, uh, to spend the time to put together a little bit of the basic life story of the Nazir, figured it's Parshas Naso, so it works out perfectly. Now, a lot of what we're going to learn tonight is going to be in that category of don't try this at home, right? To be inspired and to try to apply it in our own way, what works for us in our unique Avodah Hashem. The Rabbag begins by giving us the evolution of the Parsha. We have a discussion about Geneva of stealing and ways to repay, and then we have a discussion of the Sota, someone who is uh, not loyal to her husband, and then we have the discussion of the Nazir. So the Rabag explains, he says, the, the Parsha is starting off with the ultimate, the ultimate view of society, giving us basic guidelines, how to interact with each other, how to have Shalom. Then it speaks about the Sota, which is more focused on Shalom bias, because, explains the Rabag, it's impossible to have Sholem HaMedina without having Sholem Bayis. But then it goes to Nazir, because that's really the source of everything. The whole discussion of Nazir is when, when somebody feels this inner turmoil, a conflict within themselves, quieting this turmoil, that brings to Shalom Ba'atzmo. So the only way to really achieve Shalom Ba'atzmo, to have a healthy and happy marriage, is to be happy and healthy with oneself. So Nazir can lead to Shalom Ba'atzmo, which ultimately can lead to Shalom HaMedina and world peace. Now it's interesting, when you learn through the Masechta Mishnayis Nazir, if somebody takes an oath of Nazirus, how long does that last for if he doesn't specify? Stam Nazirus Shloshim Yom. 30 days. And yet the Torah seems to make a fairly big deal out of taking the oath of Nazirus. What does that mean practically? It's not that much. You're not shaving, you're not getting a haircut, you're refraining from wine, grape juice, anything made from grapes. And you're not being matame the mason. You're not going to a cemetery. Those are the three main restrictions we find by Nazirus. Yet, at the end of this period, assuming stam Nazirus shloshim yom, 30 days later, then we have the procedure 
And we know included in this procedure is bringing a chatas. And there are many different reasons why. What sin did you commit by becoming a Nazir and now going back to your normal life? The Ramban explains that once you were in this mode, you ascended to the level of Nazirus. You, you were in touch with an inner conflict, with this turmoil, and you wanted to quiet that noise within you, and therefore you took the oath of Nazirus. So now, you're a changed human being. You're a different person. By choosing to go back to your regular life, it might be the right move, because for you and your life circumstance, it doesn't make sense to be a Nazir forever. But Lemaisa, there's a Yerida. Right? You are now lowering the level, therefore bring a chatas. Why do you So it's interesting. The Sam, uh, Sam Derek, <coughs> Reb Simcha Zisul Brody, he says another chazal we find why you bring a chatas is because you were porish, you had to separate from, from Yayin. And Lemaisa, practically speaking, we know that the world is here for us to enjoy, obviously in measure, in a healthy way. But Rasim Chazizo has the following question. How do we assume both of these ideas are true? On one hand, you have to bring a carbon because you're now having Yerida. You're going down from that state of being a Nazir. On the other hand, choosing to become a Nazir in the first place was somewhat problematic because you're avoiding some of those pleasures of life which you're allowed to and you should partake of. So how are both of those ideas true? I want to come back to this in Mirtashem. But I want to jump into the world of Harav HaNazir David Cohen. David Cohen was born in 1887. And I want to begin his story really with the end of his life. Take a look on page 2. This is written by his son, Rav Shar Yoshev Cohen, speaking about his father during his last, uh, last few weeks, fighting the disease that ultimately took his life. Abba Marizal, during the difficulty of his illness, he would tell us, Be'erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Kora Osiel Mitoso, he called me to his bed, Erev Shabbos, Chiyuch Shel Nora Alpanov, and he had this wide smile on his face, and he said to me, Why are you afraid? Why are you in pain? Are you afraid that your father is going to leave this world? And he continued, and he said, You don't have to be bizarre. You don't have to be in pain. And he explained as follows, We are people of truth. And this, as we'll see throughout the Nazar's life was really his whole focus. He was in the vakish emis. He wanted to arrive at deeper levels of truth. So, There is nothing as sheker, as false, in this world as death. Death is sheker. Ein movis ba'olam klal. There is no such thing as death. There is only life. And if you live with this understanding, that the sheker of, of Movis, the illusion of death, is the source of so much anxiety, 
and fear within every human being, if you're able to free yourself from that fear by looking past this illusion and realizing there is no such thing as Mohis. There's Olam Hazer, there's Olam Haba. There's my chiyus, there's my life, there's my vitality in this world. And then eventually, whenever that time is, I transition to another realm. But Mavis, in the way that we view it, is sheker muchla. That's an illusion. As soon as you see the world for what it is, you could alleviate the fear of death. In the Oros HaKodesh, this is a sefer of Rukuk that the Nazir really put together over many years. Rav Kook writes, Mashu b'nei adum kore mavis, harehu rak, tigboras hachayim v'titzmuusa. That which people call death is really only the strengthening and the expanding of life. And the classic mashal we find is that within the womb there's some level of consciousness, there's some level of, of chiyus, and when the child comes out, la'avir ha'olam, into the reality of this world, it might seem like death from inside the womb, but obviously following this little child from inside its mother, now here in the real world, so to speak, that's a deeper, more significant, that's a more real chiyus than there was before. That's what Rav Dovid Cohen explained to his son, Rav Shah Yoshev, don't be afraid of me dying, because there's no such thing as death. His son goes on to explain. He says, Lo I've never seen, I've never met anyone in my life who had this deep-rooted, pure joy of life like my father. It was simple, it was pure. There was a love. There was a love of B'nai Yisrael, there is a love of his family, of his wife, of his children. There is a love of humanity. And this love, explains Rav Shar Yoshev Cohen, really emanated from his deep-rooted love of Hashem, which was his life's goal. He quotes his father, the Nazar, who said, Hapiska hatachli shel kol hu avas Hashem. And this is something we know from many earlier sources that the goal of all, all of our Avodas Hashem is to come to a place where there's a real relationship of love between myself and the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Va'avas Hashem gedola hi dafka avas Hashem Real love of God means it's not limited, it's not elite, it's not exclusive, but it's an ava that's kolelis, that through this love, she'ohavim, <coughs> Kol Yisrael, Kol Ha'adam, and Kol Ha'omim v'chol Olam, that branches out into almost this universal embrace of all of humanity, coming from that deep-rooted source of Avas Hashem. It's interesting. The Rambam, when he speaks about the mitzvah saseh of Avas Hashem, the third of the positive mitzvahs, he writes that included in the mitzvah of Avas Hashem is a love for humanity. Because if I really have this yearning and longing to come closer to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, then intuitively I want to bring others there with me. I want other people to partake of this love. I don't want to keep it for myself. He concludes here in his memoir that 
he remembers early in the morning hearing his father daven. And we'll see this is going to be very significant when we uh, read the first meeting that his father had with Rav Kook. But Abba Mori Ba'ashmoros Haboker Ola HaShemaimo It was as if he ascended to heaven every morning. One who was zoha to hear his nagunim as he was davening, b'shas halimur, as he was learning, shama es hashir al yona, they were exposed to this angelic shir, hashira shinimshachem mamish ad rega achron, a shir that lasted with him, a song that he would actually keep to the very last day. And towards those last days, he would have his talmidim around him, checking on him, taking care of him, and he would always ask them, sing something, sing a nigan, sing a shir. And inevitably they would ask the Nazir, what, what nigan should we sing? And his answer would be, Yibane HaMikdash. We'll see that in the whole worldview of the Nazir, especially his influence initially from the Chafetz Chaim, and then eventually from Rav Kook, the yearning of Geula was very much on the forefront of his mind. He was related um, to the Chafetz Chaim. His grandfather was actually the Rav of Radin together with the Chafetz Chaim, and they had a, a mutual respect for each other. And when he was a young man, he actually went to the yeshiva in Radin and learned together with the great Chafetz Chaim. One story that Rav David Cohen told his family of what the Chafetz Chaim shared with him, he said, the Chafetz Chaim told me personally that initially I would daven Shmon Esrei and say the bracha of Yushalayim Ircha Barachim Tashu as Tzamach David, and I would view it as davening. We're, we're praying for the Geula, we're looking forward, we're anticipating the redemption. However, the Chafetz Chaim continued and said, but more recently, and what year this is, it's not, a, not clear, but more recently, I realized in Yechoshev, Hinezeh at at, Hineachshav, Achshav Korov, Korov Mamish. Chafetz Chaim said, I, I feel it so close. It's no longer a tefillah, but it's a matzius, it's a reality. I feel it's coming. The Chafetz Chaim told, or David Cohen, if this happens in my time, I'm not sure. However, it will at least begin to happen in your time. Yerushalayim, Ircha, Barachad, and Tashu, this will begin to happen in your time. Vadai, vadai, vadai. What's interesting is when you fast forward, whenever this conversation took place, sometime before in 1933 when the Chafetz Chaim passed away, likely in the early 1900s, now we fast forward to June of 1967 during the Six-Day War, and Yom Yerushalayim, the, the miracles that took place getting back Yerushalayim and the Harabayas, the Nazar was one of the first people to actually have the opportunity to daven at the Koso. The picture here, you can see on the bottom of page four, on the far left is Reb Tzvi Yehuda Kuk, that's Reb Kuk's son. In the center, in the front, that's Reb Shlomo Gorin, who was eventually the son-in-law of the Nazir. He was the chief rabbi of the IDF, very 
interesting, controversial uh, personality. But in the back, you could see with those, those glasses, that's the Nazir davening at the Kosel in 1967. So you could imagine, you could imagine, explains his son, Rav Shah Yoshev, when we were Zohar to have the redemption of Yerushalayim, and my father was one of the first to daven at the Kosel Marovi, he saw within this the beginning of the fruition of that promise the Chafetz Chaim spoke about. So he learned in Raden for some time. He was a brilliant young man with a restless soul. And he traveled. He was looking for the, the Rebbe for the Torah that would really speak to him. He went to Velazhin. He was there as well in the, the great yeshiva of Velazhin shortly after the, the passing of the Nitziv. And then he went to Slobodka. And in Slobodka, he became very close with her Moshe Mordechai Epstein, the great Rosh Hashiva in Slobodka. But he was always yearning and looking for something different, something more. He began reading some of the writings of Shamshan Rafael Hirsch. And then somehow he chanced upon some of the writings and the ideas of Rav Kook. Now in the beginning of World War II, fast forward to 1914, the Nazar was in Europe and he was exploring different forms of uh, academics, both Jewish and secular and philosophy, and dabbling and probing. Rav Kook, who at the time was the chief rabbi of Yafo, he was in Europe, he actually came in for and a Gudas Yisrael conference of Rabbanim, but then he was stuck there because of the outbreak of World War I, and he ended up staying in Europe for years. So, Rabbi David Cohen had an acquaintance who was also friendly with the Mishpacha Rav Kook, and he asked Rabbi David Cohen, would you like, I could try to make an introduction. And this is the letter, the bottom of page five, we have the letter that Rabbi Cohen himself wrote to Rabbi Cook asking permission to come and ask him a few questions. With a feeling of inadequacy, I approach the great Rav. I come humbled like a disciple. I want to come and, and gain from the, the, the wellspring of this great personality. is avek to be able to at least sit in the dust of his, of his feet. And although you might be far away from me, both geographically and your madrega, Nonetheless, the Torah mipiv umusr svasav etzape. I just yearn to hear a little bit of your hadracha, your guidance, and your musr. Ve'im hakelim einam muchanim lekabel berchas Hashem. And if the vessel, referring to himself, is not yet ready, it's not strong enough to accept to be able to receive the blessing of God. Boldi taher hineni. I'm coming because I want to purify myself. Ritzoni Lovo Lemako Moshev Toroso Lezakos Lehonos Mizivo, and I'm asking permission to come and to bask in your glory. So if I was Rav Kook and I received a text like this, I would have responded, 
I'm sorry you have the wrong number. Hatzlocha. <laughs> However, Rav Kook, though, and his chasidus and his anoah, he said, listen, you're welcome to come by any time. I'd love to schmooze. What we related on Shabbos was paraphrasing the actual story that took place when Rav Dovah Cohen arrived at the Kimchi family. He found that Rav Kook was there sitting with his son. They were learning Torah together, and he felt awkward interrupting, but Rav Kook looked up, he had a big smile, he invited him in, and they had a conversation. But it was a very mundane, very... Um, you know, trite conversation to the point where Rav David Cohen was feeling a little bit anxious. I came here for more than schmoozing about what I've been doing and my university studies and philosophy. I want HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So he stays the night. He stays the night on the bottom floor and Rav Cook was staying on the, on the second floor. And here we'll, we'll read together the letter that Rav David Cohen wrote after his meeting with Rav Kook, his second time, second meeting. This is actually in the beginning of the Oros Kodesh, like we mentioned, the sefer that he put together for Rav Kook, uh, compiling all of, uh, or many of his ideas and hashkafos. Rav David Cohen writes, more than 27 years ago, I found myself in Switzerland. And there, I was studying philosophy, but I had such a thirst and, and a drive for truth. I heard that Rav Kook was also in Switzerland, and therefore I sent a letter asking permission to see him. And he responded that, I'm okay, I'm allowed to come. So what did I do that day? I was tovel, I went to the mikveh in the Rhine River, I had my Shar Kedusha from Rechaim Vital, Shar Kedusha with me, ready to go, Mole Suffolk. And I had such a feeling of hesitation and inadequacy. And I made my way to the Rav, and it happened to be Erev Rosh Chodesh Elul, really the 28th of Menachem Av, Tough Reish Ayin Hay, 1915. When I arrived, I saw him learning with his son, and we had a very superficial conversation, and then I stayed the night. And here's where his life changed. As I was laying in bed, my heart would not allow me to sleep. I felt like the fate of my life was really hanging in the balance. The early morning came, and I heard footsteps going back and forth. I heard the Berchas HaShachar and the Tfilas HaKeda in such a beautiful melody. In a Shir V'Nigun Elyon, Mishmei Shmei Kedem, it sounded angelic, it was celestial. The Akshiv, and I thought to myself, Hinei Nepachti Vaisi Li'ishacher, at that moment in time, being exposed to the godless, to the majestic soul of Rav Kook, I felt like I was transformed into a different human being. More than I planned, more than I hoped for, my vision was to come here and ask a few questions and get some good, solid answers. 
But more than that, Matsasi Lirav, I found a Rebbe. This was the beginning of his relationship with Rav Kook and really the experience that changed his life for decades to come. Rav Kook saw within Rav David Cohen this real tamimistic desire to grow and he really took him under his wings as a Talmud. Rav Kook himself eventually, when he was able to, he went back to Eretz Yisrael and he became the chief rabbi of Yerushalayim and then of Eretz Yisrael. And he founded his yeshiva in 1922, now known as Mirkaz Harav, and he invited Rav David Cohen to join him in the establishment of the yeshiva. 1922, Rav David Cohen makes Aliyah, and there, Kova Oso Lerav HaMuvuk, finally now he has a kavias. He's set, actually living in the house of Rav Kook for years, being a Talmud Muvuk, a loyal disciple of Rav Kook, and at the same time being a Magad Shir in the yeshiva. The letter that Rav David Cohen writes to Rav Kook when they were separated, just to quote you a few lines to get a little bit of a glimpse into that Kesher Nafshi, that relationship they had. He writes, as we're apart, Ki cholas avani, I am sick in love. Ki cholas avani, sard silu me'elenu, panazivo panahodo. Paraphrasing from Chazal and Rashi, that when you've left, I feel like the radiance and the Kedusha has also left. Lemi'a saper sod misosre chovi, who can I share my secrets with? Who can I, can I be real with? Who can I reveal the disturbances of my soul? Paraphrasing from David Melech, he says, when you're not here, I just feel bewildered without you. When he moved there to Israel, at this point in time, he took on the oath of Nazirus. Why he did so is not abundantly clear. But besides the, uh, the basic restrictions of Nazirus, right, he didn't shave, he didn't get a haircut, he stayed away from anything made from grapes, he would use apple cider for Kiddush and for the Dalakosos and Pesach. Now he was a Kohen, so there was no need to stay away from Tumas Mason, he did that anyway. But he had many other restrictions that he took upon himself, all based on this journey of Ruchnius. One well-known thing is that the Nazar was a vegetarian. He didn't eat anything from uh, meat derivatives, nor did he wear clothing that was made from leather. He wanted to be purish me'olam hazeh, be totally separate and distinct from this world in the most radical way possible. He was one where, although he was brilliant and he had a background in nine different languages that he knew fluently, he would only speak Lashon HaKodesh, but he would speak rarely. Tainus Dibor was something that he embraced as part of his avoda, which means there were many times where he chose not to speak at all. He felt that in Hashkafa, the ruchnius that one can glean from a conversation or interaction is much more through the shmia, the listening to what someone else has to say, than by one's own Dibor. Every Shabbos, he wouldn't speak. The same thing was true on Yantif. And then for 40 days from Rosh Chodesh Elul until Yom Kippur, he wouldn't speak either. It's interesting. The same thing 
is said about Rabbi Yitzchak Blazer, one of the three main disciples of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, that he took upon himself a tainus dibor, he didn't speak from Rosh Chodesh Elul until Yom Kippur, and there was one exception, which was when his wife had a baby, he said Mazel Tov. Again, this is all under the category of things not to try at home if you want to stay married and you want to stay normal. But a glimpse into the secret world of Harav Hanazir David Cohen. Another letter that he writes now, living in Eretz Yisrael, together with Rav Cook. The bottom of page 7, the Nazir writes, I'm sitting in the heart of Israel, in the heart of Jerusalem, the holy city, and in the house of the Gadol Hador, the central point of all of the wisdom of Israel, encompassing everything and everyone. And his heart is full of tender, deep, passionate emotion. His mind is full of sharpness and brilliance and knowledge. He's a genius. He's an investigator. He's a tzaddik, a tamim, a chassid. He's humble, yet he's proud like Hillel. And more than the calf wants to nurse, the mother wants to nourish. Meaning to say, more than the student wants to gain and derive from the wellspring of Rav Kook, the Rav himself wants to give. There's a story told that Chaim Yaakov Levin, who is in the yeshiva Mirkaz Harav, that in Yom Kippur, there was an early minion that took place from a different group of Yerushalmis living in the same community, and they would daven in a different place in the yeshiva. So his father told him, please wake up early on Kippur morning and to go open up for that early minion. Now the door has been locked all night. So Rabbi Yaakov Levin, as a young man, goes and he starts to unlock the door of the base medrash. But as he's doing so, he hears this shira, this singing from a distance. It's coming from inside the shul, but how's that possible? It's been locked all night. So he opens the door and with curiosity he peeks in and he sees Rav David HaKohen is standing there by the shtender saying over and over again Ashreichem Yisrael lifnei miyatem netarim quoting the words of Rabbi Yekiva Ashreichem Yisrael singing it with a shira, with the nigun over and over again until he couldn't help himself but interrupt him How did you get in? And the answer was, I never left. And he found out afterwards that the minig of David HaKohen was Yom Kippur from Kol Nidre until Neila. He would stand the entire 25 hours. He would either be immersed in tefillah or immersed in shira. And what he did, the majority of the night was standing by the shtender singing shiras v'tishbochos v'ashreichem Yisrael. How fortunate we are to have this relationship with the Kaddish Baruch we had the question in the beginning of the shir from the Sam Derech of Simchas Yisrael Brody. On one hand, the Nazar brings the carbon because he was refraining from wine and not partaking from some of the pleasures of this world. And that's a problem. Pleasures are here to enjoy. On the other hand, he brings the carbon because now he's having Yerida. He's going back down to a normal existence. That's problematic. How are both of these ideas true? So it explains Reb Simcha Zisul Brodi. It's not a contradiction. It could be before the person chooses to become a Nazir, if you were to ask a Shiloh right there and then, is this the right thing for me to do? 
Likely the answer could be no, because it might be too much, you might be restricting yourself to a degree that's unhealthy. Don't take on that oath. However, 30 days later, after living the uplifted, exalted reality of Nazirus, at that point in time, you're a different human being. It's only been 30 days, but when you're able to transform yourself radically, even for a short time, you're now on a different level of existence. And now, how could you possibly think of having your rita of coming back down into what everyone else is doing and enjoying the wine and the gashmias of Olam Hazed? Stay where you are. Look at how much you've accomplished. The most powerful and practical lesson of the Nazir, I think for all of us to take with us, assuming we're not going to become Nazirim, is that changing oneself even momentarily even temporarily, can change you forever. I'll give you an example. Right, if somebody, theoretically, he goes on a crazy diet and he loses 30 pounds, and it's amazing, and everyone's complimenting him, oh, you look great. But there's no way to maintain that kind of lifestyle. Three weeks later, he's back where he started from. What did he accomplish? At this point in time, nothing really. What did he gain? 30 pounds. <laughs> That's it. The fact that you lost weight then, it wasn't able to stay with you. You didn't change your whole mahalachachayim, so you're back to where you are. When it comes to ruchnius, when it comes to any spiritual elevation, something we're able to take on, even temporarily, even just for a moment, I'm, I'm holding myself back from saying something that I know is going to be hurtful, but I want to say it, but I'm not going to say it. Or pushing myself to do something that's challenging. Even though I know I'm probably not going to push myself tomorrow, that level of aliyah, growth in spirituality, is something that can stay with you and transforms you forever. I think this is one very practical and powerful lesson of Nazirus. I want to end, though, the discussion with the concluding words of Shah Yashuk Cohen, again, the son of the Nazar, he said, it's interesting, the day my father met Rav Kook for the first time, we mentioned, was the 28th of Menachemov. And every year on that day, he would travel, and he would be Makabu Pene Rabo, he would greet his great Rebbe, meaning once he moved there to Israel. Then during the last few days of his life, as he was struggling, and at the same time, trying to smile and trying to, to help us cope with the eventual loss. We were filled with fear, with worry, with hope, with tefillah. We had so many different mixed emotions. But we saw his last days, he was battling with that sheker, the falsehood, the illusion of death. And we didn't understand. Until it was revealed to us, this amazing secret. That we realized the day that he left this world. He ended up passing away in the 1970s 
on the same exact day that his life was changed forever, the 28th of Av. To, uh, to end our discussion here, there was a hesped, a eulogy said by Rabbi Yosef Dov Salavechik, where he spoke about the, the unique and the great personality of Harab Hanazir David Cohen. And Lamaisa, unfortunately, we could very much relate to the words that we're about to read now that we're all suffering the loss of Rabbi Gershon Edelstein, who was really the, the Manhig Hador at this point. He was the guiding light of Klal Yisro. Rabbi quotes from Chazal, Who can give us his replacement? Who can fill that void? And explain Rabbi if these words were true in the time of Chazal, then living in a time where there's so much darkness and there's so much confusion, when you lose a Godel be Yisrael, then how much more so do we say, Who's going to fill that void? What do we do with this loss? Who will give us someone of the stature of Harav HaKohen David Cook? He was the Somal HaMusr, he was the paradigm of Musr, of Tznius, of humility. He was a Baki, he was a Kharif, he was a master of so many areas of Torah. Who will give us, who will arise with that level of purity and simplicity? that somehow we're all woven together in his expansive neshama. The only sefer that was published by Rav David Cohen is a sefer called Kol Nevuah. Kol Nevuah is really many different ideas that he worked on for years. And there are hundreds and hundreds of pages, thousands of pages of manuscripts that have still not really been researched well because the majority of his life he spent on organizing the Svarim of Rav Kook. But if Salavechik writes, I had the opportunity to go through some of the Sefer Kol HaNavuah and I was able to see immediately Odem Shekol Tamses Chayev Misbatas Bepostik Nafshi Right here, the author of this Sefer was a human being where the entire mantra of his life was, nafshi, my neshama thirsts for you, Hashem. This was who he was. And I felt as I was reading through the Kola Navua, it was as if the Baal Shem Tov or the Balatanya, a neshama like that, was speaking to me. Achein be'emes, the truth is, mishenichen b'chushmatim yochaliros, one who reads the words, and listens to the voice of the Nazir through his own Sefer, he's able to feel and to see, Eich nishmoso shel harav ma'iro mavhika mimenu that the very powerful and eloquent soul of Rav Kook was speaking through the pen of harav ha-Nazir, David Cohen. He concludes by saying, Kodesh Baruch Hu should be menachem, we should send comfort to all of Kalal Yisrael, and we walk away from this knowing about perhaps not the last Nazir, but a very impressive Nazir in Klal Yisrael. And although we will not take on the oath of Nazirus, but we will hopefully strive for a little bit more in Ruchnius, knowing that even if we have a Yerida tomorrow, that temporary Aliyah can and will change us forever. Shkoyach.